Hello, I'm Michael O'Toole, Crime Correspondent with the Irish Daily Star, and welcome to day three of our special podcast series on the ongoing trial of Jerry Hutch, also known as the Monk. As you know, Mr. Hutch is on trial at the Non-Jury Special Criminal Court, where he is charged with the February 2016 murder of David Byrne at the Regency Airport Hotel in North Central Dublin. Mr. Hutch, who's 59, has denied the charge and is currently on trial. With Mr. Hutch, two men are also on trial. They are Jason Bonney and Paul Murphy. Neither is charged with the murder of David Byrne. Instead, both are charged with helping a crime gang to carry out the murder by providing them access to cars on the day of the killing. Now, as was the case yesterday, I wasn't in court, but our colleague, chief reporter Paul Healy, certainly was. And we're going to run through today's evidence. Paul, I understand there were two main aspects to the evidence today. The first was the... The, the firearms that were used in the attack and then the second mainly was about a man called Kevin Murray, also known as Flatcap. Uh, yes, uh, uh, good afternoon Mick. Um, it was uh, a, a bit of a simpler day in court today. As you mentioned, um, there were two kind of central strands today uh, in relation to the discovery um, of Kalashnikov uh, or AK-47 uh, rifles and and there was also evidence as pertains um Kevin Murray, who we'll talk about in a couple of minutes. Um, so just in relation to the AK-47s uh, that were mentioned in court, uh, there was a discovery uh, in the Slane area, County Mead, on the 9th of March 2016, so uh, just over a month after the events in the Regency Hotel. And we heard evidence from two members of Guard Shea It began with uh, Inspector Patrick Boyce, um, and he was telling how he was part of the Garda team that intercepted a grey Vauxhall insignia uh, in the in the Slane area county meet on that particular evening and uh, on that evening uh, they, they pulled over this car it was being driven by a man by the name of Shane Rowan and uh, the guardy signaled this car to stop he stopped he got out of the vehicle put his hands up and they went and examined the vehicle eventually made their way to the boot opened the boot and discovered uh, what what boat guardy described uh, as AK-47 type rifles that they discovered in the boot of the car uh now mick you have uh as you well know uh, a very interesting story about the discovery of these rifles because uh if i understand correctly the irish daily star in, indeed yourself broke the story about the discovery of these rifles yeah that's true paul this is one of my favorite stories so essentially as you say it happened on the 9th of march so that was just over a month after the, the killing of David Byrne. Now, anybody involved in journalism will know that that was a really, really hectic time. And I always remember what happened on that day. It was really, I suppose, earlier on that day was the start. What we interpreted was the start of the Garda fight back against the Kennehan gang. Uh, you may remember that on the uh, earlier in that morning, the Garda Criminal Assets Bureau mounted a series of searches aimed at the Byrne organised crime gang who are part of the Kennehan organised crime gang. Now, our colleague... Mick O'Neill, photographer, just purely coincidentally happened to be uh, passing Rally Square when there was a, a search operation linked to the, the this investigation. We, we, saw the, we had great photographs of the emergency response unit and cab entering a house there. So it was a very, very busy, busy day. So what about, I think about, we were all, all the papers were probably going to splash with the sort of the guard, of, the, the start of the guard effect back against the Kennehan cartel. But at about, I think it was about eight o'clock, I got a, somebody contacted me to say that there had been another search operation in North Central Dublin, which was really, really significant. 
so it, it, the information we had was that there had been a search at Jonathan Dowdle's house. So that set alarm bells off in my head and we were in the newsroom at the time, it was before lockdown, so there was a bit of frantic activity and I needed to check this out because you have to you know, verify and double check these things. So I, I tried to contact someone who I thought would know for sure if Dowdle's place had been searched. So I rang somebody, but I rang the wrong person. And, you know, when you realise it rang a couple of times, I went, oh, God, it's the wrong fella. So I hung up, right? And I, I contacted the person I wanted to talk to about Dowdle. I got various confirmation. And it was still, you know, you're up to your tonsils at this stage trying to get the story done. So you're all over the place. And the person who I rang by mistake and I hung up on rang me back and I didn't really want to answer. So, but he's a good source. And I went, oh, okay, right. So I answered. And I went, oh, how's it going? And he went, ah, I suppose you're ringing about the Kalashnikovs. And I went, Kalashnikovs? What Kalashnikovs? So that was, I think it was about half nine. And for two and a half hours, it was just panicking because he said, look, I think the Kalashnikovs that were used in the Regency had been seized by by a special detective unit. Parik Boyce would be, uh, you, you mentioned Parik Boyce there. He's an inspector in the special branch. So he'd be quite a well-known inspector there. So I was told that SDU had found the Kalashnikovs seized. So I had about two and a half hours of panic. And that old phrase about holding the front page, we did have to hold the front page because I needed to get confirmation. And I think they got the confirmation at about 10 to 12 and we spliced with it the next day. But it was just, I literally got the story by ringing a fella by mistake and hanging up and then he rang me back. So it's a, it just shows you how we get stories. You know, often it's chaotic and, you know, it's, a, it's, it's, it's very much unplanned in many respects. But I just love that story about just him going, oh, I suppose you're ringing about the Kalashnikovs. <laughs> And it's very interesting. We're going to hear more evidence over the course of the trial about the discovery of these weapons. Um, there is a ballistics effort, uh, a, a ballistics expert who uh, is due to speak on that. Uh, but we, we heard that ballistics effort uh, expert is not actually available today. So I think we might be hearing from them on Monday. Um, and as was mentioned in your story, you know, that there was an exa- a, a forensic examination done on these weapons, a ballistic examination, and they were able to determine that they were the same weapons uh, likely the same weapons used in the Regency attack. Um, and I'll just explain how the I'll just explain how they identify them. It's cartridges. So every cartridges fired from rifles have what a unique rifling on them, which is almost well, it's effectively like fingerprints. So they were able to compare the rifling on the cartridges found in the rifle in the ammunition pouch in the rifle, the rifles that were seized in Slain, and compare them with the used cartridges that were found by the Garda Technical Bureau at the scene of the shooting at the Regency. That's how they were able to com- compare and prove that they were the same. But we do, I know it was said in court earlier this week that there was an analysis on the cartridges and they proved the link. But that's how, that's how they do it. So it's unique rifling on every cartridge is a fingerprint, really. Yeah, uh, we, as you mentioned, uh, it, it was stated uh, when the prosecution opened their case that, that, it, um, that these, these weapons that were recovered are the same weapons that were used in the Regency. And we're, we're bound to hear more evidence as to the significance of that in relation to its case against Jerry Hutch. Um, but moving on, uh, another central element of today's trial uh, was an individual by the name of Kevin Murray. And there was CCTV footage shown um, in relation to Mr. Murray's movements in the Regency Hotel, uh, specifically this time the night before the attack. Um, but before we move forward, I, I, we kind of thought it was important to kind of contextualise uh, you know who Mr. Murray is, and, it, and we might do this over the course of the trial. 
just to contextualize and describe to people who these these main players are, these individuals that are mentioned, because it can it can be easy to get confused and forget who's who. And Kevin Murray is a pretty central part again to the prosecution's case. So, uh, Mick, you're quite well versed on the history of Kevin Murray and who he is. So, do you want to take that? Yeah, in fact, it, I attended a court case involving Mr. Murray up in Belfast in September 2016. So, uh, well, nine months, eight months after. The, the Regency and uh, Crown Council up there said that Mr. Murray, he played a central role in the attack on the Regency that left David Byrne dead. So uh, the state would certainly have argued that Mr. Murray played a central role in this. Mr. Murray died from motor neuron disease in August 2017. A few months before that, uh, Gardy in, in December 2016, Gardy had tried to have Mr. Uh, Murray extradited. He was actually living in his native Straban at the time and Gardy got a permission from the Director of Public Prosecutions to, to charge Mr Murray with the murder of David Byrne. So they alleged that he was he was there and he was involved in the killing of Mr uh, Byrne. Now, he, as I say, there was an extradition request for him and that happened in December. He was arrested in December 2016 and he was brought to court but had heard in December that he had a degenerative illness. Now, it was said that they thought it was multiple sclerosis, but he actually died from motor neuron disease in uh, 2017. In the meantime, he was so ill that the northern authorities refused permission for Mr. Murray to be extradited to the Republic to face charges. But there was some uh, interesting evidence in the extradition hearing. Um, Essentially, PSNI officer or the, the court heard that two PSNI officers identified Mr. Murray as being the famous flat cap. So the man in uh, the Sunday World picture running out with the gun and the flat cap. Two PSNI officers said they immediately identified him. And also there was evidence that Gardy, members of Garda Shekana, had also identified uh, flat cap as Kevin Murray. Now, he is an interesting character. He's a former uh, Republican prisoner. In 1991, he was sentenced to, I think, 17 years for attempted murder and possession of a firearm with intent. And that was in June 1991. But in 1998, you may remember the Good Friday Agreement came along and there was a, a, the part of the peace agreement was that loyalist and Republican prisoners north and south of the border and in England would eventually be released. And Mr. Murray uh, was released. But then when he got out, he would become what you would call a dissident. So he was linked to dissident Republicans. He was a lifelong Republican and he was uh, a lifelong activist, but he did, he was, you know, he, he certainly did quite a long stretch in prison in Northern Ireland. So he died in August 2017 and the Guardi had been trying to get him over the border to Dublin to charge him with the murder of David Byrne and also to weapons, offense, firearms offences as well. Mm-hmm. Um. And as you as you mentioned, like he was identified by by several officers. So so two of those officers actually gave evidence today. Uh, we heard from a PSNI officer uh, that was uh, Detective Inspector John Caldwell, and uh, he told how he met with Gardy in in Ballymun Garda Station in in uh, twenty sixteen, and he was shown uh, images of the man with the flat cap on CCTV. And he he was able to identify that person as Kevin Murray. He would have been well versed as to who Kevin Murray from Straban is. Uh, as he told the court and um, we heard from a detective guard as well adrian ahern from letter kenny guard station um and he would have dealt with serious border crime uh, investigating border crime and he viewed two separate images of the man with the flat cap uh who had the who didn't really hide his identity ran around with the gun on the regency uh um and he identified him as kevin murray as well so um 
Kevin Murray is going to be a pretty central figure in the prosecution's case. We know uh, already, based off what uh, uh, was said by by prosecuting counsel Sean Galan, um, that there is an allegation by Jonathan Dowdall, former Sinn Féin counsellor, that he met with Jerry Hutch and that he physically handed uh, hotel keys to Jerry Hutch. And we know from the state's evidence that it's alleged that these hotel keys uh, belonged to a hotel room that was first used by Patrick Dowdall, and it was then used by Kevin Murray himself. And uh, in court today, we saw some of the CCTV footage as it pertains to uh, Kevin Murray and his movements in the Regency Hotel uh, the night before. And um, I understand that some of the CCTV footage would have shown Mr. Murray having a, a last pint the night before the, the shooting. Yeah, I mean, I mean, this is just really interesting to watch when you understand the, the context of everything that happened the day after and, and the pandemonium that ensued. Uh, this man running around freely, not hiding his identity, holding a handgun, uh, running around the hotel looking for a target uh, with a man in a blonde wig, uh, arm in arm. And here he is in this CCTV footage uh, sitting in the bar of the same hotel um, the night before, just nursing a pint, sitting at the bar uh, quite calmly. Uh, He sits there for about an hour. Uh, The footage shows him just literally sitting there, doesn't seem to converse with anybody, gets up, goes back to the hotel room. And the next he's seen is is around 9 a.m. the following morning uh, when he then leaves the hotel uh, with a bag that he brought with him. And what was his demeanour on the, the, the Friday morning when he was leaving the hotel? Um, his demeanour, again, quite calm, uh, just walked out of the hotel room, uh, down to the lobby and, and straight out. And, uh, you know, we're, go- we're going to be hearing more evidence over the course of the trial about his movements and the alleged movements of other parties involved. Um, but uh, we know where he ended up anyway we had <laughs> with the CCTV images and, and the, uh, the image that was famously printed in the Sunday world of him running out with the gunman in drag. Uh, and perhaps because of the fact that he knew he was dying uh, with this disease, as you mentioned, he he made no effort to hide his identity like the other members of the of the team involved in the hit. That that's 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 one thing that really stands out. I mean, I remember, I think there was, I don't know if it was evidence, but it was said that he didn't have that illness for too long. I think he only really had it, you know, to just over a year. So it was quite striking that it appears from what you're saying that about the, the, the PSNI officer and the guards, as we were saying, who were able to identify him very quickly, that there was no real effort to disguise his identity. Yeah, absolutely. Um, uh, There was lots of other evidence heard today, but I think those are the two kind of strands that really uh, stood out for both of us. Um, You know, it, it, there's going to be many days like this where there's a lot of evidence that has to be heard, um, a lot of Gardaí that have to be sworn in. And, and there were a lot of, of Gardaí that were, just giving basic evidence of CCTV that they took before we were then able to view that CCTV. So um, just to kind of sum up, we saw some of the movements of a BMW X5 and the prosecution are going to allege uh, that the person in that BMW uh, is Jason Bonney, who is uh, co-accused along with um, Jerry Hutch. Now, he's not accused of murder. He's accused of helping to facilitate the murder um, by driving one of the vehicles that were involved in the overall uh, the overall hit. Um, so we, we've yet to see the entire movements of this vehicle, but we, we began to see some of the ve- uh, vehicle's movements from Port Marnock and out into the city centre uh, on the morning of the 5th of February. And what was the demeanour of Jerry Hutch in the dock? When I was there, he was quite calm and he was quite attentive. Yeah, calm and attentive again. He seems a little bit more relaxed. Uh, like we can, we've seen him uh, 
sitting there talking with Jason Bonney and with the other accused man, Paul Murphy. Uh, whenever they've had an opportunity, a, a break, they've been huddled around and talking. Uh, and we've seen Jerry Hutch keeping his eye on all of the CCTV footage. He never takes his eye off it. Um, the other thing, just something I noticed today that I hadn't noticed before, is that he was scribbling notes, uh, appeared to be scribbling notes with a, with a pencil uh, every now and then. So he, he's keeping uh, attentive uh, at all times, it seems. And do we know, is there a hearing tomorrow and do we know what, what evidence is going to be heard tomorrow? Um, we don't know exactly what evidence is going to be heard tomorrow, but we do have more CCTV footage to, to watch. Uh, they cut short the, the footage uh, in relation to the BMW, as I mentioned. So we're going to see more of that. And I think over the course of the case, we're going to see the movements of, of each of the uh, the vehicles that they allege were involved in the overall um, criminal gangs operation. Uh, and we know that uh, Jason Bonney and Paul Murphy are accused of operating two of those vehicles used on the day itself. All right, Paul, that, that, that was very interesting. Thanks very much. So tomor- tomorrow there will be more probably procedural evidence. Some days will be more dramatic than others. What, what do you expect to happen tomorrow? Yeah, I expect that we'll see more of the CCTV footage uh, as a, as relating to the, the, the BMW, as mentioned. Um, and we're going to, as you say, have a lot of procedural evidence in the future. So I, I think what we're going to do is we're going to try as best we can to cover the most interesting aspects of this trial. So on days where um, interesting evidence is heard, we'll be doing a podcast. but And we'll endeavor to do a podcast as, as often as possible. So we don't necessarily think we're going to do one every day, but we're going to do it. Uh, every time that there's something worth talking about. Yeah, I mean, we know it, it could last until after Christmas, so there will be plenty of days where there'll be a lot happening, but there may be some days where it's it's quiet by comparison. But we'll we'll do our best to to, to, to make it as interesting as possible and to bring you the interesting aspects of every of the, the trial, however far we're there. Yeah, and thank you for listening. Thanks very much.